0: Hey Tabitha VC, welcome to the Think Boot Camp Podcast. Hello. Well, we are really excited to have you and uh more than excited to just have you. I'm excited not to have Matt Sabatello. I know sometimes we have to, you know, get to addition by subtraction. And uh we subtracted Matt and we have one of the nice North Americans from Canada, Lacey Anderson, co-hosting with me today. Hey Lacey. Hello. Nice to see you guys. Thank you. So Tabitha, talk to us about uh, currently where you are.
1: Well, I am actually, I would say I'm more 95% compared to where I was in 2021, which was roughly probably 5%.
0: (laughs) All right. So we're going to have a story of of a great deal of progress, uh, but let's talk a little bit more generally about where you're calling in from, meaning what part of the world are you in right now?
1: I am, well, I am originally from Mississippi, a small town called Pope, Mississippi, but I am now currently in Memphis, Tennessee. I've been here now for five years.
0: All right. Memphis, Tennessee, beautiful city. I was there recently. I shared with you offline and I just loved Memphis, Tennessee. Tennessee is a cool place. So uh, I'm sure you're enjoying all the culture and, you know, just the, you know, the the beautiful city that you have there in Memphis.
1: Of course. And go Grizzlies.
0: All right. Yes. (laughs) Well, you know. Ja has been a little bit of a disappointment again this year, but you know, I I know that's a little painful <laughs> for you folks in Memphis. You know, your superstar basketball player just keeps getting himself in trouble, and then he gets himself hurt.
1: <laughs> better luck next season.
0: <laughs> yes, better luck next year. Well, I have to tell you that uh, for many years I felt you're a pain as a New York Knicks fan. I uh, I had uh, I had a horrible like three decades of uh, fandom. But now the Knicks are good and the Grizzlies suck. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, talk to us, uh, Tabitha, about what you do in, um, in that beautiful city of Memphis, Tennessee.
1: I am a contract specialist for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So any project along the Mississippi River from St. Paul, Minnesota, all the way down to New Orleans, I help assist on those contracts.
0: Oh, that's really cool. and That's really exciting. So thank you for doing that cool work. You're welcome. (laughs) So uh, give us a little bit more about your background. So you said you grew up in Mississippi. Um, What was it like to grow up in Mississippi? And what were your dreams and goals as a child growing up in that region?
1: Yeah, so I am a country girl, (laughs) born and raised. Like I mentioned, a small town called Pope. Um, My dad has a farm, still has a farm, so I'm used to the outdoor life. Um, But I grew up actually um, modeling and in beauty pageants, surprisingly. Um, I did a lot of that until I was 16 years old, and then I um, changed over to more one to go to college. My first dream was to move to New York, become a model and all of that, and I wish social media was big back then. Maybe I have a better chance at it, but unfortunately those dreams didn't come true. So (laughs) I ended up going to college. I went to Delta State University, which is in Cleveland, Mississippi, where I majored in marketing. Um, And I left there and I moved to the coast of Mississippi. Um, I lived there for roughly five years. Then I moved back home and I started working for the um, city of Memphis. I've been in um, government now for the past a little bit over 10 years. And that's something that I love to do. I love working with people and just working with the federal government in general has been very beneficial for me and my, my career and my life as well, as far as a work-life balance. So it's been very beneficial for me the past three, well, past 10 plus years, actually.
0: So this is an audio only podcast. So folks do not have the benefit of seeing you, but I will tell you, I was surprised to hear that you're a farm gal I was not surprised to hear that you were a model. So let's, <laughs> let's, talk, about, let's talk about your life as a farmer uh, and your dad's life as a farmer, because we do know that many, many people who are uh, farmers by profession suffer from Lyme disease. So talk to us about what it was like working on the farm. Uh, mm-hmm. If you did, in fact, work on the farm, I, I mean, I, I want you to build that out for us. Uh, but even if you didn't work on the farm, because your dad was outdoors all the time and your dad was coming into the house with whatever was on his clothing, um, were you tick aware during your childhood uh, and were you able to protect yourself if you were doing any work on the farm? And were you able to protect yourself if your dad brought anything in the house from the farm?
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, I wasn't very involved on the farm. My dad um, is, was, of course, more in, involved in the farm. Um what he would do whenever he goes out to the farm into his garden he will always spray on bug spray um we would always growing up i was very aware of ticks you know we would pull them off all the time i mean i grew up in the country we played outside we were always in the woods we were always just doing things outside we didn't play inside there were no computers no ipads none of that so i was always outside playing and um Never even put on bug spray. My dad, of course, did all the time. He spent a lot of time in the garden. But me, myself, never did any of that. Always pulling off ticks. Never got sick. None of that. So um, what I did, of course, get sick... um, in 2021, it was a surprise because I'm thinking like, well, I've been been bit by ticks all my life. So why all of a sudden am I getting sick? So um, it's been a very, very long journey (laughs) being that I grew up around ticks all my life. So um, becoming sick from one bite has really, really been challenging.
0: Well, we're going to talk about that, Tabitha, because I'm not sure you got sick from one bite, but we'll (laughs) pause there for a second. And we'll, we'll use that as some foreshadowing for our later conversation. So Um, You did outline for us, you know, this, this educational path and this career path that you were, you were on and what your dreams were um, to be an entertainer uh, for, for a window of your life. And then ultimately you moved into government service. Um, Give us an outline of, of, of where you were in your, in your life's path uh, when you suffered the tick bite, when you were 32 years old.
1: Yes, yeah, so I was actually in grad school um, working on my master's degree when I realized that um, I had Lyme disease. So um, suffering from Lyme disease, as well as attending grad school and graduating in the same year was a challenge. So um, during that time period, I was actually a grad student.
0: Okay. So um, now you indicated uh, a moment ago that you were you were bitten by a tick when you were you were thirty two, right? So so you're in grad school. You're thirty two years old. Were you also working, or were you a full time student at that time?
1: Um, I was a full time student and working at the same time.
0: Okay. So what, what type of work were you doing at that time?
1: At that time, I was in local government with the city of Memphis.
0: Okay. So give me give me some sense of of what you were doing around the time that you you found this tick biting you. Uh, when you were 32?
1: Yeah, so um, I remember the day, it was July the 5th, 2021. Um, after, on the 4th of July, my family, that weekend, we always barbecue outside, enjoy each other, family time. So um, I was coming back home, July the 5th, after the 4th, and I um, my back was itching. I was like, why am I itching on my back? So um, I looked in the mirror, I was like, can't be, is this a tick? So I panicked. So I called my mom and said, hey, there's there's a tick on my back. Why, how do, why do I have a tick on my back? And instead of me grabbing my tweezers, which I wish I should have, I panicked and I kind of like scratched and pulled it off. And when I did, of course, it was like blood and everything. I'm like, oh, my God, like <laughs> there's actually a tick on me. So I didn't when I kind Of scratched them off, I didn't find them, so I was like, I don't, I don't know what I did with them. But as soon as I did that, I was panicking. Like, I've never had a tick, where does this tick come from? But that's what happened, um, on that day when I pulled it off.
0: Okay, so what, what did you pull the stick off while you were driving back after you had oh, arrived I was back?
1: at home? Um, I was at home, that's I, just, I actually just got out of the shower when I arrived home from my parents. I just got out of the shower, and that's when I was like, what is itching on my back, and that's when I pulled them off.
0: Okay, so. Is it your suspicion that that tick was feeding on you for at least a day before you discovered and pulled it off? Or was it perhaps even a longer period of time?
1: I think it may have been a longer period of time. Um, the reason why it was because the week before um, my family and I, we went to Arkansas, we went on this nature trail. And I was thinking, well, maybe that's where I got it because I don't recall doing anything else outdoors, Um instead of outdoors, besides going to Arkansas on that nature trail. So I think it was there for at least probably about four or five days.
0: Okay. Wow. So <clears throat> now after you remove this tick, I mean, you did share with us that you grew up in a, uh, you know, in a tick endemic environment. You grew up on a farm, so you were tick aware. You would check yourself, remove ticks. This is something that, you know, was a part of your culture, your childhood culture, by the right. way, very much like mine. Um, When you pulled that tick off, uh, did you save it and have it tested?
1: No, because like I mentioned growing up, that's just something that always, you know, being bitten by ticks, nothing ever happened afterwards. So I was like, okay, I pulled them off, you know, let me put a Band-Aid there, because of course it was bleeding, put a Band-Aid there and just go on about my night.
0: Right, so you know, one of the things that's interesting about your story, again, very similar to the experiences that I had growing up being bitten by ticks is, you know, Although I was tick aware, and although I knew how to remove a tick, I really didn't know what to do when I was bitten by a tick. Right? I didn't know to save the tick. I didn't know to have it tested. I quite frankly didn't even know that I should go to a doctor um, to have a conversation about perhaps using antibiotics or some other tools to uh, prophylactically protect myself from getting sick. So, um, so you you like like me, you didn't know to save the tick. You like me, you didn't know to go to the doctor, did you?
1: No,
0: I did not. Okay. So now talk to us about um, what was going on in your life at that time, because it seems to me that you were burning the candle on both ends. You were a full-time employee. You were a (laughs) full-time student. And I'm assuming you also had other social obligations. So give us some sense about what your life was like. uh, And am I right in, in coming to this assumption that you were burning the candle at both ends?
1: Yes. Yeah, so um, like I mentioned, going to school and working for city government, I did a lot of um, community workshops. Um, I worked as a small business representative, so a lot of my um, work involved just going to different town hall meetings, as well as hosting workshops at um, my job as well. So that involved me communicating with a lot of people daily. Um, face-to-face meetings, um, developing those workshops um, weekly. So I spent a lot of time meeting a lot of people. And in that period, that's where um, where I was at, as well as, like I mentioned, going to school as well. So I was very, very busy, very, you know, social, um, just, just you know, enjoying my life. I am about to graduate grad school, which means there's going to be a promotion. So very looking forward to that. So it was a very exciting time in my life.
0: Okay. All right. Now talk to us about the, the house that you were living in. Was it an apartment? Was it a house that you owned? I mean, what, what was, what, where were you living?
1: Living in an apartment, which I still um, reside in that apartment.
0: Okay. And um, do you think at that time, there were any issues with mold in your apartment?
1: Um, I don't think so. And the reason why I say that is because um, these are fairly new apartments and I am actually the um, first and only person in my unit. So I, really doubt there were, there was any mold. So, um, I can say no, being that it's fairly new.
0: What about where you were working or where you were going to school? Do you think there was any mold in, in either your work environment or your educational environment?
1: In my work environment? Um, Possibly. And the reason why I say that is because um, the City Hall building is a very, very old building. It's been there for a long time since the 1960s, and they are just now doing upgrades. So um, probably so um, with my work environment. Now, with my school environment, of course, this is 2021. So everything was virtual. So um, I really, really wasn't in a school environment during that time.
0: All right. But that was COVID, right?
1: Right. Right. This is during the pandemic.
0: All right. So, and, and how are you emotionally dealing with all of the COVID restrictions and everything? I mean, were you were you being bothered by that, or were you just, you know, <laughs> just sort of, you know, the the unique person in the world that wasn't really feeling um, overwhelmed by all of the COVID restrictions?
1: Well, in um, the spring of twenty twenty one, around March, um, I got COVID so um that was very scary um because you know they told us to make sure that we're not around anybody once we have it and i'm an hour away from my family so when i did get it i was paranoid i didn't you know you watch the news and say well people are passing away this and that so for the seven days i was paranoid i didn't know what to expect because it's fairly new so um, i had COVID during march of 2021. Um, it really wasn't bad on me. Um, uh, most of my symptoms were kind of like sinus pressure, headache, um, loss of taste and smell. That's about it. And I was um pretty I was well within five days. Um so after COVID, um, that's when I went and got my COVID shots, which was in April, late April of 2021.
0: Okay. So now you suffer this tick bite. Tick is feeding on you for a few days. You're burning the candle at both ends. You're a high achiever. Um, you've, you're have you dealing with the pressures of COVID. You're dealing with the pressures of having COVID yourself, not just the COVID culture. Um, and now uh, you find this tick on your back and you pull it off. Right. What, what happens with your health?
1: Five days later, um, I went I went to visit my family. And in the middle of the night, it was it had to be like one or 12 o'clock in the morning. Um, Muscle spasms like crazy came out of nowhere. So I got up and I went to my parents and I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I can barely move. I could barely sit up. And they were like, well, what's wrong? I said, I don't know what's happening. I was like, <laughs> I need to go to so the hospital. It's was like, well, just, they were like, we'll just take some Tylenols and lay down. You should be okay. So frustrated. I went, you know, listened to my parents, took some Tylenols and I went to sleep. The next morning I drove back home and I got on my phone and I was like, where are these muscle spasms coming from? What did I do? I didn't work out that week. So I was like, can be anything related to working out. And I um, was thinking maybe it was COVID related. So um, what I did, I went to Google and I searched muscle spasms. Then I thought to myself, well, maybe it's related to that tick bite. So I went to Facebook and I typed in Lyme disease. And some of the symptoms that pulled up, people were like posting about their Lyme disease symptoms and it was muscle spasm that was listed. I was like, what is Lyme disease? So I went, um, I Googled Lyme disease and um, that's where I found out what Lyme disease was. No idea about Lyme disease until 2021. After I Googled it, I called my doctor and I asked him, "Um, can you do testing a Lyme disease test? And he was like, sure. You can come in next week. I'll be free. I was like, Great, send an appointment for the following week. And when I went in, he was like, um, You don't show symptoms of Lyme disease. And I was like, Well, what are the symptoms of Lyme disease? He was like, Well, normally when people come here, um, they're, you know, they're weak, um, they can barely talk. And I was like, Well, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I went to Google and they told me this. <laughs> and he was like, Well, um, I can't do any testing. I, and he, I was like, well, can you you know, refer me to anyone in the area that does it? He was like, I don't know anyone that does that. So I'm frustrated. It's like, you're the doctor. You have all the answers. You should at least. So somebody has to help me. And um, he was like, well. I really don't know what to do or um, say. Um, what I could do is maybe call around, um, but I don't have an answer for you, unfortunately, because um, I really don't think you have Lyme disease. I've had other patients come in here and our symptoms were different from what you're telling me. You're telling me you only have muscle spasms. It could be just something else. So I'm frustrated at this point. So I go back to um, Facebook and I found this Lyme disease support group and I typed in everything that was happening to me. And I told them about my experience at the doctor. And I was like, well, you should consider a Lyme literate doctor. I was like, okay, what's a Lyme literate doctor? And they was like, well, doctor, of course, that's Lyme literate. I was like, okay, cool. Where can I find him or her? So um, they sent me this link. It was a lady in the group. And I love this support group on Facebook. I, they're like my family. Been my family for the past three, four years. Well, three years. And um, they sent me the link. And it was one doctor in my area his name is dr timothy callahan he's in tunica mississippi and i called him and signed up an appointment with him um he did not have any openings until like maybe two months out but he was willing to help so um i set that appointment but um i still want to know what was happening to me so i went around to different urgent care centers and see what they test me Many of them didn't, know, didn't have the testing. So I went to um, one here in Cordova, Tennessee, which is outside the Memphis area in the suburbs. And this nice doctor, she was like, yes, we can do testing for it. Um, we'll see if you have Lyme disease. And I was like, cool, great. And um, when I got the results, it was maybe a week later. But she told me, she was like, you know, normally people don't have symptoms until a certain period of time. And you're showing symptoms pretty quick. And I was like, yeah, but I want to know what's going on with me because I've never been this sick before, me having muscle spasm and things. I don't know what's going on with my body. She was like, we can still test for you. And when I got the results back, it showed um, the Lyme test was positive. So I don't know what to do. <laughs> so she said, come in and we're going to um, prescribe an antibiotic, an antibiotic, which is one antibiotic, which is like lexacillin. Um, so, um, I took that, which was just one doctor and I was thinking to myself, there has to be more. So, <laughs> um, I, when I went, 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 to my appointment two months later with Dr. Timothy Callaghan, he did another testing for me. And during that time he showed, um, different methods that I could go, which was the antibiotic route or the herbal routes. And I didn't know anything about herbs, so I was kind of scared to do the herbs. And he um, mentioned that I can take antibiotics for a month, which was dixicillin for a month, and take a lot of probiotics. So he prescribed me with doxacillin for a month. He he told me to make sure I take a lot of probiotics as well. So I did that. He did extra testing on me. Of course, it's confirmed that I did have Lyme, which was positive. So I did my antibiotics for a month and during that time was the worst time of my life because okay. I had, go ahead. <laughs> sorry. Let's pause there.
0: Let's pause there. I'm Cause sorry. there's a lot I need to go over with you before Lacey takes you through your I'm treatment.
1: Sorry. All right.
0: No, no, this is fantastic. You're, you're a very articulate uh, young woman and you tell a great story, but I have a lot of questions about the okay. earlier part of your story before Lacey takes you through your treatment. So Let's um let's first talk about um the tick bite. Mm-hmm. Um now, do you believe that you suffered your Lyme disease that was diagnosed through d- two different tests as a result of that one tick bite?
1: Um now when I think about it, no.
0: Okay. So tell me why you think that was not the case. And let me give you a little bit more background of why I was asking you some of the questions I was asking you before. Okay. Most of the experts who um, who study Lyme disease take the position that it's very rare that you go from tick bite to chronic illness. Um, there are some circumstances where that will happen and one circumstance where that, will, that will happen is if you have a, a compromised immune system. Uh, for example, if you're living in a moldy environment or you're coming in contact with some immunosuppressive uh, experiences, you know, burning the kettle at both ends and really, really exhausted. And, you know, and that could be a profile that you fit into Um, Or if you suffer multiple tick bites, um, then in, in, in those cases where, where you have all these tick bites and all these microbes um, overwhelming your immune system, um, then, then you could get sick. But short of one of those two circumstances, in most cases what happens with people who become chronically ill from Lyme disease, It's because it's because uh, what happens is their their body, Loses the ability to manage the microbes that it had been managing for a long period of time, right? I mean, we we almost all of us have the Lyme bacteria in our in our microbiome. It's something that our immune system is managing and can manage, and then it can't, right? So, what I'm trying to get a sense of where you think you are, because as someone who had been bitten by ticks so many times over the course of their lives, there's no doubt in my mind, Tabitha, that you were your body was harboring and managing these microbes. For many years. And then perhaps this tick bite was enough to overwhelm your system. Perhaps it was that in combination with you just living, you know, uh, you know, a, a life where you were trying to get through school and work and illness and the crazy world that we were living at the time. And give give me your sense of what what combination you think ultimately caused your immune system to uh dysfunction or or no longer function so that it can manage these microbes.
1: Um, What I think was um, COVID as well as the booster shots and the stress of um, the pandemic as well as full-time student and work. So I think all of that had a lot to do um, with my immune system at that time and the stress that caused all of that. So I think all of that had, all those factors kind of had some type of input in that. (laughs)
0: So let's explore the, the, the shots or the COVID shots, right? Because one of the things that we've seen many, many times on this podcast is uh, we've had many young women um, who right after taking uh, immunization for one type of um, issue or another um, would become chronically ill from Lyme disease. And, you know, one of the things that we've, we've, we think we've observed here on this podcast is that what's happening with uh, with, some people who become chronically ill is their body was managing the, the bacteria or this combination of germs that ticks can spit into you or will spit into you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens is they take, a, they, they take a vaccine. Their immune system is now focusing on the microbes that, that were, you know, injected into them with the vaccine. And as a result, the, the rest of the microbes take off. Do you think that's a possible um, cause of, of your uh, chronic illness?
1: I do. Um, I think that was, um, one of the causes for my, for my illness at that time.
0: So how close was the tick bite that you had to the, uh, to the vaccine or the vaccine boosters you were taking?
1: Yeah. So my vaccine was in April, um, the end of April, 2021. And the tick bite was July, the beginning of July, July the 5th. So not not that far. (laughs) About six
0: weeks. Yeah, about six weeks away. Okay. So, um, now, Um, give me your reaction to, um, your onboard diagnostic system telling you you have Lyme disease, right? You didn't really know what Lyme was, it was something you had to research, but, you know, when you were getting sick and you were having these early symptoms, something told you, you had Lyme disease. What, what was that? How did how did that, how did that come to your, you know, to your, to your head and what triggered you to start doing the research online?
1: Um, as I mentioned, I've never had muscle spasms like that in my life, so I can only um, relate that back to the take bite. So um, once I figured out, okay, muscle spasms, they're some of the symptoms of Lyme disease, that's when I started to go on Google and go on Facebook and social media and try to figure out any of any. Anyone else that had Lyme disease was suffering from the same symptoms that we're suffering from, and that's when I found out some people were suffering from the same thing as far as those muscle spasms.
2: Oh, did I lose? I think we might have lost Rich there. (laughs) Okay, okay. I can hear you. (laughs) We're still here. I'm sure Rich. I thought that was the this not so subtle hint for me that I should be speaking. So, but hey, that's (laughs) that's all good. So yeah, but uh, well, yeah. while well, we wait for Rich, oh, we did lose Rich there, but I think you're the host now, it says, for the computer. No, it's all good. Um, so anyway, so you were saying that the, the essentially it was the muscle spasms themselves that for you, and you mentioned around the time of the COVID vaccine and such, and yeah, and it takes like Rich might be back now, but we could just <laughs> carry on in the meantime. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I'm sorry, oh, guys. No, I'm I, I got lost. Uh, I got lost. Uh, my my internet went down. So, um, and I know Lisa's going to be taking over in two more seconds. So, but just you know, <laughs> one of the things that we always talk about here on this podcast is your onboard diagnostic system. And it sounds to me that you know when you when you finally started doing the research on Lyme disease, you knew you had Lyme, right? Correct,
1: right. Yes.
0: I mean, your your gut was telling you you have Lyme disease. Correct. All right. So now you go to a doctor and you tell the doctor, hey, I believe I have Lyme disease, right? Yes. And, and, and I believe that I have Lyme disease in part because uh, of the research I've done and in part because my gut is telling me I have Lyme disease. Correct. So um, how do you think that doctor might have done a better job of, of, of utilizing your onboard diagnostic system and the information you are giving that doctor to help you come to a proper diagnosis? And why do you think that doctor didn't use that Um,
1: i believe well he was an older doctor so um i don't think he was has been familiar with lyme disease um lyme disease is really not i guess you can say prevalent here in memphis you don't hear about it that much a lot of people that i've come in contact with through social media and just through different support groups are not from this area so um he did mention to me, he was like, well, Lyme disease is not, you know, it's not in Memphis. It's more like on the East coast. So how did you get Lyme disease? Are you sure you had Lyme? I was like, well, are you sure doctor? And just because, you know, it's you know prevalent on the east, Coast. So doesn't mean we don't have it here in Memphis as well. I'm telling you my symptoms, and it's from a tick bite, which means that I have Lyme disease. So he was just using that and let me know it's not in this area. You don't have the symptoms. You don't you don't look sick. He told me that as well. Um, most people that do have Lyme disease, they're, they're they can they can barely walk, they can barely talk, and you look healthy. That's what he was telling me the entire time, which was really frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. One of the things that we really enjoyed about interviewing, for example, Dr. Marty Ross, um, is that what Dr. Ross does is he uses his patient's gut and their feelings as a vehicle for helping them come to a proper diagnosis. But even more importantly, once uh, they could a diagnosis, whether it be clinical or through, uh, through testing, but he also allows the, the, the patient to give input in their gut to give input into what type of treatment they should be pursuing and in what order, right? That appears to be a very enlightened approach to, um, to uh, defining, um, you know, what the treatment plan should be and what the diagnosis should be. So I'm not asking you to react to, and you're being very kind to your doctor being older or having this mindset (laughs) that we don't have Lyme here, which we hear that everywhere other than I guess in New York, (laughs) one of the virtues of being in New York on the East Coast, Um, really asking you to react to the doctor's uh, lack of rigor and lack of um, willing to take input from a very intelligent, very articulate, very firm young woman who's saying, hey doctor, I have Lyme disease.
1: Right and he's no longer my doctor now. Um well, no shock.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> because there, after that, um there were plenty of times I would go to him and for symptoms that I was having after my di- my diagnosis, he would just not listen to me. So, um he was it's <laughs> it's hard to say. Um I do I do think that it's because of his age and because he was just illiterate to the disease itself and he didn't want to listen to a young woman like myself and he was he was an older black doctor so uh, me you know I've always like okay I want a doctor that looks like me maybe they'll listen to me um, maybe they will understand where I'm coming from and when he did not listen it was kind of like okay you don't believe me, you don't trust me. The reason why I have you as my doctor in the first place was because I thought you would believe in me as a minority myself. So um, that kind of hurt me at that time, and I had to find a different doctor. Um, so he just didn't believe me. He, he was just illiterate, and I hate that he did not believe another minority um, coming in and telling their sickness. And I believe a lot of other minorities that suffer from, from this Islam disease are not being heard.
2: I, I believe you on that one 100%. Yeah. I believe you that they're probably not being heard. Um, we, yeah. we Can you hear me still okay?
1: Yes, I can hear you. Yes.
2: Okay, good. <laughs> good, good. Um, yeah, so it looks like they're just doing some stuff in the background there. But um, so so you said that dog doctor, we as we call it, you fired that doctor. <laughs> and you now have a, a doctor, um, like, Dr. Timothy Callahan, Um, so I guess, so so to fire that doctor, did you essentially stop going to him and say, you know?
1: I did, I I told him um, that I no longer, you know, wanted to be a patient and um, he was, well, he wasn't really understanding, but (laughs) after I told him, um, I found a new doctor, which was Dr. Timothy Callahan, which is a holistic doctor. And um, he has been very helpful for the past three years
0: Two things I want to explore with you, which okay. is, you believe that if you went to a doctor who looked like you, that doctor was more likely to listen to you. Correct. Um, and perhaps, perhaps the error that you made is is that you needed somebody who looked like you, and your gender rather than okay. rather than in other ways. So give me give me your reaction to whether you think a female doctor might have been more willing to listen to the input that you were you were giving
1: um my well my new doctor now is um i have two doctors so my functional doctor um my holistic doctor which is dr timothy Callahan, which helps me with my lyme disease and i have a new doctor her name is dr Sy. she is um of course from the middle east um she's she's very helpful with my journey as well she does listen um she's very patient with me um she's not really familiar with lyme disease but if i come in and say i am having this symptom she would try to figure out okay What do you think we should do to help you become better? Um, So I am very um, ecstatic about her. Um, Now I know the importance of really just having, not someone just to look like me, um, but more to have someone that will I read her reviews basically, and all the reviews said that she was very patient with her um, patients. She listened and she cared. So that was one of the things I was looking for with my new doctor, and I am very um, glad that I found her instead of my old doctor that doesn't listen and still doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah, so that, so
0: that's really the key, though, Tabitha, right? I mean, it is, I, and, and I think I think your your gut, quite frankly, was correct in. Thinking that someone uh, who you could connect with uh, right. would be more likely to listen to you, but really, that's the goal. The goal is to get someone who's going to listen to you, right? Right. And and if somebody's not listening to you, regardless of what they look like, then it's time for you to pivot to a new doctor, right? Because okay. one of the one of the, one of the things we've seen as a pattern on this podcast repeatedly is that in order to be able to get better, you have to have a pretty quick trigger and move on to another person, either because You've plateaued in the level of care that you're receiving from the person who who you're working with, Um, or because you have somebody who's not using the most valuable tool that's available to them, the words that are coming out of the patient's mouth and what the patient is not just feeling, but what their onboard diagnostic system is telling them that the doctor really should be taking into account. Correct so you you moved on from this doctor because the doctor was simply not interested in listening to you or 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 another thing again and and it may not be you know another important lesson that i think we have to share with our listeners here is that our mindset is going to control our cognition Mm -hmm. right and part of the reason it's important for us to understand that is if we're working with doctors who have a mindset or they're working with theories that are that are limiting their ability to see what they need to see to make us better, that's an important reason for us to move on. But it's also important to understand that our own mindset is going to place limits on what we're going to see. And because our own mindset is going to place limits on what we're going to see, we always have to be open to the possibility that maybe we need to work on our mindset so that we can progress with our treatment. Give, give me your action, reaction to those two thoughts.
1: So, um... Can you ask that question one more time? I want to make sure I heard you
0: correctly. Yeah, so I I want to talk about mindset, right? Because uh, mindset is important, not only from the standpoint of our ability to heal, right? Because if we do not believe we can get better, we're not going to get better. If we don't believe a treatment is going to work for us, the treatment is not going to work for us, right? So we always have to be aware of what our own mindset is, what our own beliefs are, so that we can be successful in seeing what we need to see and thinking what we need to think and feeling what we need to feel and taking the actions that we need to take in order to be able to be successful. But in addition to that, we also have to be aware of the mindset and the beliefs of the people that we're working with. Because if our doctors do not have a working belief system that allows them to, for example, believe that the input we're giving them is the most in- important information that they need to help us to be diagnosed. If they don't, if they don't have a belief that there is Lyme disease in the community where we we are working uh, or living, you know, so we, we we have to be aware of mindset from the standpoint of both the practitioners we're working with and from our own standpoint. So I'd like to get your, your feelings about your mindset and the mindset of the practitioners that you work with.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, When I worked with Dr. Um, Timothy Callahan, when I first met him, the first thing he told me was, I don't have a magic wand. And um, when he told me that, I was like, what do you mean? Are you telling me that after I take these antibiotics- I have one. (laughs) You do. (laughs) Awesome. I I need that. (laughs) And he mentioned, he was like, well, after the antibiotics- I said, well, after antibiotics, will I be better? And he said, "Um, I can't promise you that. This is a journey. Everybody has a different journey. So we're going to tackle it um, one step by step and go from there. So I believed in him because he actually has Lyme disease as well. And during that time, um, it was challenging, but I still had him to call And I relied on him because I trusted him because he was going, he went through the process as well. So my mindset was very positive when I was working with him compared to my previous primary position.
2: Okay. So, okay. So, so you've got the diagnosis now. Um, In terms of the diagnosis itself was, I know you said you're relatively new to the Lyme disease world. Right. Um, Were you relieved that that's what it was? Or were you like, oh no. Well, I was relieved to
1: know what was happening to me. I was um, happy to know that, okay, I know what it is. I found a doctor now. Here's the treatment. So once I figured that out, I was like, okay, let's go. Let's get the treatment going. After the treatment, I should be good.
2: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so in terms of the treatment itself, um, at one of the first or first couple of appointments, um, did you have sort of the next was it next month mapped out for you? Or um, what did it tell me a bit more about your treatment plan itself?
1: Yes, yeah, so us, uh, us, us, not me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. So it all was antibiotics um, that I had to take for a month. And um, that's all I had as far as a plan. Because like I mentioned, he gave me two options. He was like, antibiotics or herbs. I wasn't familiar with herbs. So I was like, okay, let's do antibiotics. So um, as I was taking the antibiotics, I got worse. And I didn't realize why I was getting worse. So what I did, I went back to my my lovely community on Facebook, my Lyme disease support group. And I was asking them, okay, I'm taking my antibiotics. Why do I feel worse? And I was like, well, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But they mentioned a term called herxing. So I was like, well, what is that? And it was like, well, you're killing the bugs and they have to get out of your body. I was like, what do you mean? Like, they're like bugs inside of me. Like, what are you talking about? So Um, a lot of them gave me different, um, different things to do to try to prevent those heart system because, symptoms, because I literally felt as though I was dying. Um, my heart rate was dropping. So when I was taking my heart rate, I was um, calling my, um, my doctor at the time, which was the same doctor that I had tried to see if he could get me scheduled um, to a cardiologist because my heart rate wasn't the same. It was averaging roughly like 44, 40, 43 beats per minute. I was like, this is not normal. Like, healthy I work out a lot like why is my heart rate this low so um I went to cardiologists as well while I was doing my antibiotics and they mentioned well your heart is healthy like why are you here like you know you're you're healthy so I'm like no this is not you know I'm not healthy I have Lyme disease I was like well we're not familiar with Lyme disease so after that visit, they did give me a heart monitor. And um, during that month, while I'm still taking my antibiotics, I had my heart monitor, um, as well as um, taking my antibiotics, still dealing with those heart symptoms until um, one of my, I'm gonna say friends, we can say friends now um, from the support group, mentioned an herb called um, Barbara Pinella. I can show it to you. Yeah, yeah, <Listener>. Barbara <laughs> Um Thank That you. has Thank been my, my go-to since then. Um I took that um, while I was taking my antibiotics and it helped tremendously, but I still felt bad because I still had a lot of the toxins built in during that t- entire month. And after I finished my antibiotics, I called my doctor, Dr. Timothy Callahan, which is my, like I mentioned, my holistic doctor. And I told him, Well, I'm done with my antibiotics. I really don't feel well still. He was like, Well herbs are going to probably be the best route and he didn't want to allow me to take more antibiotics because they're bad for your gut health so um after that I started taking my herbs and um they helped me um I took herbs for roughly maybe a year um I can show you my herbs I have all my things here I'm sorry that's okay (laughs) no you're ready byron white herbs if you can see that a through l complex um these are two hundred dollars a bottle and I have three, and I have a Bart, because I have Bartonella mm-hmm. as well, and I have a mica from Mycoplasma. Okay. So, um, unfortunately, insurance doesn't pay for that, so a lot of my herbs came out of pocket, so um, that's roughly... in herbs that I had to pay for, (laughs) Um, but they were very helpful during my journey. Um, One of the things that I had to figure out was basically how to remove those toxins. I was killing the toxins, but removing those toxins and hurting symptoms made me feel worse. I was um, very tired all the time. Um, As I mentioned, heart rate wasn't good. Um, I bought a new Apple Watch during that time as well to check on my heart rate, because I was very paranoid at this time as well. My heart rate is dropping a little by myself. Um, I went to the hospital, the ER, roughly three times in the span of that um, that year. And I remember the last time I went there and they saw me, I'm, I'm pretty sure they were like, why are you here? And, and I was like, you keep coming here and there's nothing wrong with you. So after a while I stopped going, I just really told myself, I was like, you know what, you're going to, you know, just fight this. Nothing has happened since the cardiologist said your heart is great. You just have to fight it and just, you know, keep taking your herbs and keep you know, removing those toxins with your different um, herbs that you're taking. So, um, that journey was very, very stressful and very scary, to say the least.
2: Yeah, I, I could imagine. So, so essentially, you came to a point where you decided, you know, sort of, it's not worth it for me to continue going to the hospital anymore, is, is kind of what you're saying?
1: Exactly, because I was spending money at the ER as well. Um, That's like $300 a busy going to the ER and them telling me there's nothing wrong with you. Why are you here? And um, they would run a blood test and everything's like, we can't find anything. It's like, you know, we don't know what's wrong. Why are you keep coming here? So eventually I tell myself, like, just stop going. Just try to fight it yourself. And if anything happens, just let it happen. So I really just trust the process during that time. Um, it was very very stressful. Um, I was very depressed during that time as well, because no one really knew what I was going through. My parents didn't know because they never had Lyme disease. No one mm-hmm. in my, family, no friends. I had no one to talk to um, besides my, my group on Facebook. So yeah, no one to pick up the phone and be like, Hey, I'm having a bad day. I'm, you know, I'm herxing or anything like that. So I had to really just fight it myself during that time.
2: Right, right. It sounds like you did take quite a bit into your own hands, which unfortunately, a lot of people in the community have to do. Um, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. But yeah. I, I would like to let you know that I think I might know which Facebook group you're discussing. Okay. Um, I might I might be in it, perhaps, but um, just going back. So uh, just to kind of let everybody know. So Lyme disease was positive. I think you mentioned um, mycoplasma as My- one of your treatments.
1: Yes. And, um, and did
2: you Bart- Bartonella as well? Yes. Okay so um, any other ones positive for you?
1: No just those.
2: Yeah yeah and I guess when we say just those those are such a handful in themselves that like one one is enough. Um, (laughs) Yeah okay yeah I just wanted to kind of clarify for everybody um, all your positive tests there Um, and then sort of going back so it sounds like um, you came to a point as you already mentioned where you didn't really feel probably comfortable to keep going to the hospital Um, and then reaching out to the Facebook group, um, and somewhere in there, did you find something that was pretty helpful? I know you mentioned the Berber panella um, for your Herx, Herx meyer reactions. Um,
1: yes, the Berber panella, um, lemon water, a lot of lemon water, um, Epsom salt baths, very Mm -hmm. helpful, and the sauna. So going to the gym, just sitting in the sauna and sweating, that helped a lot as well. Um, removing sugar, removing alcohol, um, I miss alcohol. (laughs) I miss the wine. So, um, about three years since I had a glass of wine. So,
2: wow, um, yeah.
1: So, I that's that was kind of you know a point in my life where I was very social to go to social networking events and having a drink. To not being able to do that anymore, Um, but it was something that I had to do in order for um, in order to heal my body. Um, so I got rid of all of that exercising, um, that helped a lot. Um, I did a lot of exercising, um, still do that now to this day and a lot of, um, vitamin C. Okay. I have vitamin C, vitamin D, magnesium. That's all I take every day. So a lot of the vitamins have been helping me as well.
2: So you're, so you're all supplemented up. Yes. (laughs) Um, all right. So okay. So you've got your treatment plan. You've you've got sort of a month with the antibiotics, the, the Herxheimer reactions. And in our community, we hear the Herxheimer reactions themselves are and can be horrendous. I know you mentioned a bit that like the depression sort yeah. of came in there with that. Um, did you notice anything with your Herxheimer reactions that affected um, like your mental clarity? Like any flare ups related to mental health at all, or or no?
1: Um, not really. Um, A lot of brain fog, um, which I wasn't familiar with until it actually happened. Um, it really didn't affect my mental clarity, um, to say the least. Um, during that fall, I graduated from grad school, So, which I was done with grad school. So during my treatment and the um, depths of my treatment, I finished grad school. So in 2022 is when I just started just getting really in depth in my herbs and taking that in my treatments, Um, but it didn't affect my mental clarity. I didn't have a lot of brain fog though.
2: Okay, yeah, Um, and so I will sort of, um, you mentioned that you were feeling, I guess I'll use the word isolation. Um, You said you didn't really feel like you had someone to talk to regularly about this. Um, So you mentioned um, just a little bit about, I think the parents, so is is that something that's within that their willing to understand is a Lyme disease or is that pretty new to them and not really their timeframe, like their timeline?
1: Very new to them as well. Um, I was frustrated during that time trying to educate them on it. I got to a point where when I would tell them I wasn't feeling well, it's kind of like, okay, you don't, you know, you look good. What do you mean you don't feel well? To the point where I just didn't tell anybody I wasn't feeling well. I would just be around people and I would just feel terrible and not tell anyone about it because I didn't want to bother people with it because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know how to handle it. So I got to a point where whenever I felt sick, I didn't say anything. I just handled that on my own.
2: Oh, and what, how, how, how did you handle that on your own? Essentially, those kind of days. What got you through when you're sitting there and you're you're saying, okay, I can't really call my parents per se to talk to them about this. They might understand. What does one do?
1: I did a lot of crying during that time, to be honest with you, um, because, like I mentioned, I had no one to talk to. So it was just me battling this disease by myself and no one even talked to me about it and what's crazy is when i went on the group i'm pretty sure you're in this group as well and i mentioned the importance of having people that look like me that went through the same struggles to you know maybe help me when i went on this group i noticed that there was no one that looked like me in that group (laughs) and i was like well where are the minorities like am i the only one like Who can I talk to that could help me along this journey that kind of understands where I'm coming from? Um, During that time, like I mentioned, I was working. I had a doctor, not a doctor, but a boss that was very understanding. So if I needed days off, I was able to stay home. Get myself together, and I didn't have to be in the office. Um, so during that time, that was very helpful. Um, I really appreciate her for understanding. She didn't understand the disease itself, but she understood that I wasn't well. I lost a lot of weight during that time because I wasn't eating the way that I was before. Um, I cut out a lot of food. I was depressed. Um, I lost roughly 20 pounds. I went from 180 to 160, and a lot of people noticed. They was like, Oh, so a lot of way. You, you know, you're an exercising, working out, and I would respond I like, yes. You know, I didn't tell people where I was sick or anything. I was like, yes, I've been working out. You know, things like that. Because I didn't want people to question it. Then I have to go through what it is and all of that. So I didn't tell a lot of people about it. Really, tonight, me discussing this with y'all is the first time me just basically getting my story out there.
2: <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I'm glad that you are it. Yeah, I'm sure that lots of people will be wanting to hear what you have to say. So I'm, we're, we're all glad that you are. So thank you.
1: You're welcome. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess kind of kind of going along here with this, what you're telling us now. So I guess we'll quickly just so you found support in the Facebook communities. That's something in my journey. I also did as well. Um, and even with my healthcare care background, I actually before I went to medical appointments would get my questions answered by them, so that I had a bit of an idea, um, and I'm well prepared going into my appointments, and then also kind of potentially saving myself some money along the way at the appointments, if I already kind of know what direction that we might go. Um, so I don't know how specifically we could get, get about the Facebook group, but um, um, essentially, it's a spot where you can post questions and members in the community can kind of give you their input.
1: Correct, correct. So um, even when I'm not feeling good, I'll just post in the group, "Hey, I'm having a bad day." Then everybody, "Oh, you're good. Do this and that." And I enjoy that um, to have them there. I mean, they're like family. So they understand what I'm going through. If I'm having a bad day, if you know, I'm. Taking a new treatment, I can post it in the group and they'll be like, "Well, you know, I've had that too. If you do this, you do that." So it's been very helpful to have that support, and I appreciate that group so much. I make sure that I still kind of because I I feel a whole lot better than I was in twenty twenty one, but I still try to go into the group and um, help others because I know a lot of people join that group daily that are fairly new to the disease. So I make sure to always go in there and assist others with the process as well. Right,
2: right. Rich, are we able to state a Facebook group? Yep. Okay. I'll let I'll allow you, and then we'll see if my hypothesis was correct. If it's the same one I'm in
1: or not. <laughs> let me pull it up. I want to make sure I have the correct name here. I'm going to show it to you. <laughs> it is Lyme Disease Support and Wellness, and it says Lyme Disease to bring out bring it out of the darkness. It has fifty thousand members.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah. It sounds familiar to me as well. Yep. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're able to find that bit of support in it. Um, in a world that sometimes is not aware and supporting and sometimes invalidating, as I'm sure that you've found that multiple times. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I so you mentioned you you had graduated somewhere along this timeline. So you'd you'd graduated and kind of take us a little bit from there what was next for you.
1: So um After I graduated, I was looking forward to being promoted. Um, That didn't happen. Um, So I looked for a new job during that time as well. Um, In 2023, um, this is like two years within my treatment, I got sick again um, with C. diff. So I went from Lyme disease, now C. diff. And it was from basically... My gut health was terrible. (laughs) And after I had C. diff, um, I had H. pylori immediately afterwards. So I'm trying to find a new career, and I get sick again. I'm like, where did this come from? How do I get C. diff? How do I get H? What is H. pylori? (laughs) So during that time, I was battling the summer of last year. I was battling C. diff. And months later, two months later, I immediately had H. pylori, and I had to take more antibiotics. That treatment for H. pylori was probably worse than my Lyme disease treatment, because it was a stronger antibiotic um, that I had to take, as well as other medication. And luckily, that antibiotic that I was taking for H. pylori helped with my Lyme disease as well. Um, So that treatment was very helpful for my Lyme disease, because after I did that treatment, I felt... 10 times better as far as my Lyme disease symptoms. So my career didn't really um, take off until after I completed that treatment. In the winter of last year, um, I applied for a position with the federal government, which I was applying for for years because I was trying to go from local government to federal government. Um, but once I got sick during the time of the summer last year, I was like, well, I can't really even do anything right now because I have to get over this disease. And what's crazy was I was um, also dating during that time as well. Um, I didn't date when I first um, got diagnosed with this disease because there was always um these comments from people saying, well, if you date, you know, if you kiss people, they're going to get it and all of that. And I was like, I didn't want anyone else to suffer from this disease. So (laughs) I stayed away from dating until last year. But when I got sick, um, the person I was dating was not supportive at all. So I went from being sick to dating and having a partner that wasn't supportive to trying to find a new career. And luckily, after I um, went through that, journey in my life, Um, the winter of last year, I applied for a new job with the federal government, which I'm currently with now.
0: Congratulations.
2: Congratulations. Yeah, thank
1: you, I appreciate it.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So, okay, so, so you're, you've got that position now, um, which is a very huge feat because you're still essentially on your healing journey. So exactly. Yeah, very big congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, and so, yeah, I'll just kind of, like, I, I like to keep saying I'm jumping back, so I'm going to keep jumping <laughs> back here. So, um, you, yeah, you mentioned um, C. diff, H. pylori, um, and so, yeah, for, for those who are not familiar with it, um, digestive symptoms, and even without Lyme disease, sometimes it can be a persistent thing in itself and takes right. a lot of your immune system out with it. Um, because of the location and and many other reasons. So I could imagine that that would be a hurdle for you. Um, And uh, going past the antibiotics as well, and you said that did help with your Lyme disease. Um, So how much would you say that kind of bumped you forward in your healing journey?
1: After my H. pylori, um, I felt 100 times better. Um, I went from feeling sluggish, feeling down, um, to where I'm at now, which is, I feel like a hundred percent, I'm now able to have a glass of champagne, just one glass of champagne a month. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not going to overdo it. Cause I don't want to, you know, backtrack and put myself back to, um, where I was in 2021. Um, But I'm 100 times better. Um, I take a lot, lot of probiotics. I had to really build my gut health. Um, I had to really do a lot of research on gut health because my gut was destroyed from all the antibiotics and everything that I was taking throughout the years. um, My gut health was destroyed. So a lot of, not a lot of antibiotics, but a lot of probiotics, a lot of research on probiotics. I didn't know there were millions of different types of probiotics out there (laughs) until I started to take them. So um, basically restoring my gut health has helped a lot with my Lyme disease and I didn't realize the significance with gut health, which is my overall health. I didn't know that if your gut wasn't good, you're not good. So basically restoring that gut health was very, very vital for me and my progress.
2: Right, right. Yeah. And that, that definitely makes sense because so much, too much to even list is within the gut, the immune system. It has relations to mood, everything um so so yeah it makes it makes sense so essentially you're you're learning um in in a way doing your own research on gut health as well as gaining information from your practitioners you've you've now found what works for you in terms of those practitioners um you're graduating uh you're working uh so you're still you're still got pretty full plate in there uh and how would you say that you're able to kind of juggle all of those things? Um, or did you have to kind of take some little timeouts from it and say, you know, um, I might, might be a little too much that I can handle for, for right now.
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, um, I didn't date during that time. Um, I stopped dating for a long time. Um, the last partner that I had last summer, they really didn't understand what I was going through. After that, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take time for myself until I can really um, give myself believe to someone because I was really, scared to share my story um I didn't know how people would take it if I said hey I have Lyme disease because people are not aware what it is I don't know if it was going to scare anybody away or I didn't even know if it's contagious I still don't even know if it's contagious or not to be honest with you so um well I'm... well, you we will say we've talked a little bit about it on a
2: different podcast um I don't have my my own interview number memorized but I'm sure that we can eventually pull that up for you um so we we delve a little bit into that, because, as you know, there are lots of myths um lots of fears so and so it it originates from a good place um where research has started on the topic uh however exactly kind of what what you're saying is pe- we people go out there they don't really know and and the research is still in progress essentially right. so um, yeah, so so there we do talk a little bit um, on oh episode 382. Okay. Um, so that was where Matt and Rich actually interviewed myself with my okay. um, STI background as part of my kind of specialty of work. And so yeah, basically, um, I don't want to I don't know if I can spoil the the whole outcome.
0: Can I spoil? Yeah, no, I, I think we should talk about it because it's- yeah, it, Rich wants it's me in, to
2: spoil. So I'll it is spoil.
0: And, and not so much a spoil, but I, I think when we when we come to a particular topic area that's going to be significant to the folks who are listening to this um, podcast, we certainly want to highlight that they can listen to episode 382 and get some more insight for a more detailed conversation. But I also think it's important that we don't just sort of leave the, the question out there because- uh, you know, one of the things that Tabitha was concerned about is whether or not intimate contacts such as kissing, could result in Lyme disease being transmitted. And the answer is clearly no. The, you know, we, we we do know that kissing is not going to transmit Lyme disease. And and, and Lacey, yeah. so why don't you give a little bit more detail? Because you you are certainly the the person with a great deal of expertise in this area, so that folks understand you know, both from a, from a physical standpoint and from an emotional standpoint, the importance of having intimate contact and intimate relationships, right? Because right. we don't want to be isolated, not only because people don't understand us, but also be isolated because we feel like we can't uh, be in healthy physical contact with other people.
2: Right. Yeah. So I'm still on social media, actually seeing a little bit of misinformation about this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know my time right now is, is not to kind of let each one individually know I, I can't do that. It's sort of to eventually assemble a bit of a broader package on it for people. So. Um, so essentially, the, as Rich said, um, I agree fully that um, no Lyme disease, we don't have information on it saying it's transmitted by kissing. Um, so that one can be put to rest for you. Um, prob- <laughs> probably, probably, to be honest, uh, people probably query different um, things that are sexually transmitted by mouth. And they sort of apply that concept to if it is sexually transmitted, what well, must be by mouth too, because other things can be transferred to mouth, which we won't go into. Um, so essentially, there's been some research starting um, where they've done some sampling on people with their partners. Um, one person initially tests positive with Lyme, and then they sort of it's very small sample sizes. So in the scheme of science, um, we'd ideally like to do way more of these and larger numbers of these. That's, that's the nature of science, and that's what makes it essentially legitimate, and we can kind of fall back on it. Um, so it's very good. It started these queries that potentially Lyme disease can be sexually transmitted. Um, but when we sort of go past the next phases of, of this research, we come to these sort of gray areas that they can't quite really be answered yet. Um, so for most of us can probably agree, we would want this to get to the medical world so that they can use it when people come to see them. Right. So we ideally we'd want to know yes or no. Is it transmissible? Um, But the reality is right now, the research is not there for either, but the research is there for a query that it can be passed, actually, to a partner. Mm -hmm. So that then puts us into this whole other scheme of unanswered questions. Um, Like, you know, is it all strains? Is it when it's treated, untreated? And we certainly do not have that yet. Mm -hmm. So... With these ideas of kind of minimizing harm to people, some practitioners are starting to say, um, you know, that that it is, so take precautions or abstain. Um, But then it sort of comes into this emotional and um, lifelong practices that these statements are affecting for people. So we have to be really, really careful, the ones in the background of this information coming out, um, sort of how we share it and and what comments we're we're sharing it with. Um, because there's definitely there's definitely evidence for a strong query, absolutely. Um, but we have to then wait for some evidence because there's been animal models um, where they've tested the transmission and it hasn't necessarily passed with similar reproductive tracts to humans. And we've gone off animals sometimes in the past for other cases. Um, and then the other big point brought up is that it's found in genital secretions. Um, but there's also a lot of other things that are found in um, genital secretions that are not considered sexually transmitted, for example. So just, this is the one that's just in my back pocket. Usually I say COVID is actually found in genital and um, other secretions of the bodies too. Um, along with some other viruses. But those ones are not necessarily considered sexually transmitted um, because of the fact that those areas harbor a whole lot of things, a whole lot of bacterias, um, not necessarily all of them are sexually transmitted. So sort of from the public health model of it, where people are going is, is to say, hey, I wanna protect my patients. So it's from a good place. I wanna protect them from this. Um, But you have to you have to sometimes trust that the people receiving the information are able to receive it in its entirety, which and the wording is super important. So if I say to you, Tabitha, like Lyme is sexually transmitted, what are you what are you going to think if I tell you that? Well, me, right. Just excluding what I just told you, actually. (laughs) Rewinding to my spiel.
1: Well, if you tell me that it, it, if you tell me now that it is sexually transmitted, me, myself, I'm going to back, go back to, well, that just puts me in a place where I can't date and I can't have children and I don't have any children.
2: <laughs> right. Right. So that's a really big, um, like bio, social, emotional outcome of how we word things. So if I say to you, now I say this to you, there's, there's a very strong query emerging in the medical fields there has been some research studies done where they found it in genital f- fluids for example however there's these things also found in genital fluids and there's a couple of animal theories that are sort of contesting the human theories there's also some cases where partners are not necessarily testing positive for it of the of the initial person that was positive so we have to be able to explain that before we are giving the co- the communities in sexual health in general um really concrete statements about it so wording is it's annoying but yeah. wording is very important in this um and when we're sharing and I, I hope that I hope that sort of people almost just maybe put the brakes on on sharing those really concrete and a little bit in the podcast with Rich and Matt they talk about um let's Oh, I lost my train of thought. Maybe Britain yeah. So let me, me let
0: me there. let me pitch in a little bit, right? So we we talk about here at Tick Bootcamp. We talk about upstream and downstream uh, impacts of Lyme right? We know that if you get bitten by a tick, that's the the uh, the way uh, that it's most likely going to be transmitted. And part of the reason why it it is so likely to be transmissible from a tick bite, or as Dr. Bill Rawls talks about, that's the preferred method of transmission for the microbe is because we have a tick that will be attached for a long period of time, and there's a lot of exchange of fluids between the, the host and the tick. And, and that has an impact on uh, not only not only the, uh, the way that the bacteria is transmitted, but also also the, the, um, the speed at which the bacteria actually behaves. Uh, once it ultimately injected right it also the volume of the bacteria is greater when when there's tick attachment and there are a number of different immunosuppressive properties of the tick spit that also makes it more likely that the host is going to become sick when the uh, when the bacteria is 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 transmitted right so so a tick bite is certainly as Dr. Rawls would say, the the preferred method of transmission, and it's the way that most people ultimately get sick, as as you did in your case. Now there there are there's a lot of research, which is beginning to emerge that's mm-hmm. demonstrating that there are downstream effects, right? And one of the downstream effects you've already identified, which is, can it be passed from mother? To child, and the answer to that is yes, right? But that doesn't mean you can't have children, and it doesn't mean you can't have healthy children. It just means you have to be aware of it, and you have to work with with Lyme literate obstetricians and and, pedi- and pediatricians and and gynecologists, and work with other people in the community who have gone through this journey. And there are a number of them that have been on this podcast as young women who have now are now the The parents of healthy children, okay. so um, so it is something you should be aware of. It's something you should be taking precautions uh, about. But and now it's the same thing with sexual transmission. There 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 is research that's showing that both partners will have will have Lyme disease in their their um, in their semen and in the in, in their uh, vaginal secretions. But at the same time, there are some experts, like for example, the Dr. Brian Fallon. Um, out of uh, Columbia University who's arguing the reason, you know, you're finding two partners that have uh, Lyme disease is because they're living in tick endemic communities, they're getting bitten and, and they and they both have it. It's not necessarily transmitted from one person to another. But there are some animal studies and Dr. McDonald talks about the dog studies where there seems to be some evidence that there is sexual transmissions. So does that mean you shouldn't have a relationship, Tabitha? Does it mean that you shouldn't have intimate contact with people? No, the answer is no. You should just engage in safe, practices, and have the conversation with your partner. And when you and your partner are, are engaging in intimate um, contact with one another, just be careful about how you how you do it. Because remember, it's always going to be the bloodstream that we have to be the most concerned about. And if you're engaging in said practices where there's not an exchange of blood, then right. maybe I think you're, you're more likely to be... To be safe, but you certainly should be engaging in healthy sexual contact with partners. You just okay. want to make sure you're you're conscious of it. Now, the other the other thing we talk about downstream here in Tik Boot Camp is, of course, um, is blood transfusions, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there are certainly many microbes that are being transferred from people who have Lyme disease to others when they're being kind and they're and they're being willing to donate blood, right? And and, and so we have to be, we have to we have to be concerned about these d- downstream impacts and, and 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 this awareness allows us to take precautions. So I, I think Lacey did a brilliant job of saying, look, there are a lot of open questions that have not been answered. There's a lot of research that needs to be done, and we in the community have to encourage that research to be done. But in the meantime, it doesn't mean we shouldn't have boyfriends and girlfriends and intimate partners. It doesn't mean we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't believe that we can't uh, be you know mothers and fathers. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be giving blood or we shouldn't be you know receiving blood transfusions if that's uh, an important part of, of of saving our lives. It just means that this awareness allows us to do all of those things in a way that would allow us to substantially reduce the likelihood of transmission downstream. At the same time, when we're tick aware and we are aware of the precautions we can take, we don't get sick like you did when we get a tick bite, right? So, right. I, 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 I certainly want our listeners uh, and I want you to understand that that uh, you should have intimate relationships, you should believe that you can have children, and you should believe that you can you can do that in a healthy way that's not going to make your children sick or your partner sick.
1: Right. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's
2: a, it's, it's a heated topic usually to bring up. So it's, it's actually really helpful that you brought it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Rich kind of summarized it super well Um. in that, in that, yeah, it ultimately just comes down to, you, you know, knowing that there is research emerging on it and right. then kind of trusting that the Lyme community is able to take that true information and then understand that you can take precautions even just with that amount of information itself that there's a query and some people might say 100% yep going to be use protection do this 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 abstain if I'm not treated and things like that so um yeah yeah relationships are very doable and I myself have had those kind of at initially what feel like awkward conversations um, with with my now current partner too Um, so so yeah it's um yeah. Once you kind of hear that, probably hopefully helps to, you know, give you some context and confidence if you are going to communicate with partners about it going forward. And that, yeah, there it's not. We're not saying that it's not, but that it's uh, a, a strong query at this point in time.
0: Yeah, yeah you know, I, I think it's important for also to recognize that, um, at least in our experience here at Boot Bootcamp, the first question that most young women ask after they receive their Lyme diagnosis is, can I have a child? Right. It's 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 the first question everybody asks, right? So we do have to have these conversations and we do have to make sure that, um, you know, we're not scaring ourselves into believing that, you know, this important part of the human experience is now gonna be taken away from us. It's not, it's not and, uh, and, and it doesn't have to be. And, you know, look, we are as humans always picking up bugs. It's a part of the human experience. We are, as humans, going to exchange those bugs with our I- intimate partners. That's happening all the time, and we shouldn't just focus on one microbe or one set of microbes. It's a, just a part of the human experience, and our immune system, when healthy, can manage all of these things, right? So, you know, please, 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 folks, don't um, don't believe that this is an end of, of of you know that very important part of our lives where um, you know we we we. Can have intimate contact with other people. We can be in deep, you know, uh, meaningful relationships with other people, and we can be parents. You know, we can.
2: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, yeah. So you mentioned going. I'm not. I'm not going back. because Like every time I start talking, I say I'm going to jump <laughs> back. I'm going to plow ahead right now, Tabitha. How do you feel about that?
1: <laughs> let's and, go ahead. <laughs>
2: okay, let's plow here. Um, okay, so. Now you said, you said, I, I think in the notes, it said about 88% healed, but do you feel a little bit further along in your healing journey than 88%? Oh, yes, most definitely.
1: I'm pretty at pretty close to a hundred percent right now. And I feel good. I feel um, like I did before. Well, I take that back. No, I do not. I feel healthier than I did before because I am more aware of what I put in my body now. I am more aware of my surroundings and what I do. Um, so I'm more healthier than I was before then. I don't want to be who I was before the disease. Um, I am grateful to be the person that I am right now. I am able to overcome anything. <laughs> my faith is stronger in God and um, I'm just happy.
2: That's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. And awesome to hear that you've come so far along. So it's, it, yeah, it sounds like you're either really close or potentially heading towards remission then?
1: I believe so. And a lot of people that I talked to um, in the group, Facebook group, they were mentioning if you no longer have symptoms, then you're in remission. Um, I haven't had any symptoms in roughly maybe five or six months. So I believe I'm pretty close to remission. I will give it a year. I'm going to wait till the end of the year to see if I have any setbacks. But um, I'm very positive very optimistic about the future and I'm just going to continue to make sure that I'm taking all my probiotics, (laughs) keeping my gut health in check. And I still um, take some of my herbs for maintenance. Um, Not if I'm feeling bad, but just for maintenance purposes, I'll take uh, my herbs uh, maybe twice a week just for maintenance, but not when I'm feeling bad.
2: Okay. So you do a little bit of maintenance here and there. I hear that's pretty common. Some people have in their, their purse, like a Berber, panella, or like even some mental, some other antimicrobial type drops. And so I hear every now and then they just have it and they they take the little bits. Um, yeah, so I hear that's pretty common too.
1: Just for a maintenance purpose. So I'm going to do that until the end of the year and see if yeah. I have more symptoms. And if I'm feeling better by the end of the year, then I'm just going to maybe try to put it to the side, try to put it to the back of the medicine cabinet and just move forward.
2: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, and is there anything if you... We're kind of going back to your treatments or even um, to the start of when you were bitten by the tick is there anything that you would change or or would you leave it as is
1: Ooh, that is a great question if i would change anything i don't think i would be the woman that i am today um i've grown a lot um there were a lot of people in my life that were not supposed to be in my life. (laughs) I realize who my true friends are. Um, I realize where my support comes from and that's from my parents. Um, Even though they don't understand the disease, they still try to understand how I feel and they've been there since day one. Um, During this time um, on my journey, I've done a lot of reading. Um, I spent a lot of time to myself. Self-care has been very important for me and self-love um pouring into myself um I wasn't doing that before I was always pouring into other people I was always busy I was always um busy with my job busy with school um being very social being out and about now I'm more putting all of that energy energy into myself and I don't think I would change anything um I appreciate the journey it was a long journey I feel as though it was needed for me to be where I am today
2: yeah that's so interesting to hear that answer that you know, you wouldn't necessarily change it because of what it's the transformation and person you become because of it.
1: Exactly. Wouldn't change it. Yeah.
2: Very interesting to hear for sure. Um,
0: so, so give us some more detail on that. We're uh, we are we're at the transformation part, part of the podcast and you 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 teased a little bit about your relationship with God. Uh, so talk to us about, talk to us about how this has been transformation for you physically. You, you did, you did share with Lacey that, um, you know, you, you are very, very different in the way that you, you are, I'm assuming eating the way you're moving, the way you are, uh, the way you're uh, defining your social relationships. And, uh, and now of course your are um, your place in the world, right? So our, our identity is um very clearly defined by most of the experts, uh, Dr. Maya Shanker, for example, I think it's the leading expert on identity. She she defines identity as finding your place in the world. Right? So talk to us about how this journey has helped you to find your place in the world and how finding your place in the world has allowed you to be more purposeful and to serve in the way that God created you to serve.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, when I first got the disease, um, I questioned God. Um, I didn't realize why I was being punished. Um, I went to church every Sunday. <laughs> I was a, a good person, um, even though I felt I was a good person. I did right by people. I grew up in a church, very traditional, um, grew up in a Baptist church. So I questioned God. Um, my faith was tested for the past two or three years. Um, what I've learned is that everything is a process, um, it could be worse. There were different um, stories that I've read on Facebook. There were people that um, were in the same situation I am that had worse experiences. So my faith was tested. Um, I battled mentally with myself, depression. Um, I turned away from God, basically. So I had to really dig deep down inside and just realize where my health came from, which was God. So I started back going back to church. It was 20 the end of actually 2022 when i started back to going back to church just putting my faith in god and just praying more when i would have those days where i didn't have anybody to talk to i would just pray and i did a lot of reading reading of my bible um just being more positive i realized that just having a positive outlook on it just made me feel better if i felt negative and bad about it i was always feel bad. And I didn't want to feel that way. So I just turned my mindset to a more open and positive mindset so that I could feel better. And I just accepted it. I was like, this is a test. This is what God has given me to test my faith. And am I going to fail it or am I going to pass it? So um, that journey has really tested my faith. And uh, my faith is stronger in God, um, my love for myself, my love for my family. And just knowing that life is short and i enjoy every day um i realized that we don't know if we're going to be here the next day so i'm more positive um before then i was i would have my negative days i would just be like you know what you know is what it is i would soap all day just sitting in the house having bad days but i realized that like i mentioned it could get worse and this journey has been very good for me um, Every day is a journey, and I just appreciate my process that I've had. I take each day one step at a time. Um, any battle that I face now is like, oh, that's nothing. I, I had Lyme disease. Come on, now I, I, I battle Lyme disease. That's nothing. That's a small feat. So I appreciate the journey the most definitely.
0: <laughs> All right. So now, one of the things that's you know that's very clear about um, about our relationship with God is that we have to define what piece of God's creativity is in us and how we were created to serve others, right? You are, your job is to serve others. So as you began to regain your relationship with God and as you began to to worship in this traditional setting, how did that help you to define what piece of God's creativity was in you? And how did that help you to find what he created you to serve or how he created you to serve?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say just having um, that servant type of personality, um, being there for other people. Um, I've always been a go-to person, um, so having people to come to me, people that know what I've been through, are able to come to me with their stories, and I'm able to, of course, give them that assistance. Like, hey, you know things will be better, you know, give them a Bible verse. I've invited more of my friends to church to go to with me as well um, because they realize, you know, my faith in God and everything that I went through. So I have more of my friends now that are leaning towards me for help. And I, you know, because they've seen how strong my faith is. So having that servant type of personality and um, I incorporate that in my work as well um, with the servant leadership, um, being able to serve others, um, not looking down on others, but being there for other people, um, not being feeling as well I'm better than anyone else. We're all here, we're all human, you know, uh, just being there for people. And that's what I've been doing.
0: So talk to us about the professional shift you made because um, you, were, you were working at a particular place. You mm-hmm. went to get your, um, your graduate education so that you would get promoted in that particular place. And it didn't work out for you. And as you, as you completed your education and as you began your Lyme disease journey, that's when you ultimately had this professional shift as well. So talk to us about how that, that set of experiences were not coincidental, but were designed um, by God to put you in the place where you were supposed to be and to put you in a place where you can now serve through your work where you're supposed to be serving.
1: Yeah, sure. So, with my previous job when I was working with the city, as I mentioned um, earlier in the podcast, I was always out and about doing town hall meetings, doing workshops, being in front of people face-to-face meetings every day, all day. Um, So my new role um, as a contract specialist, um, I have a lot of time um, to sit down and work one-on-one with just one contractor. It gives me enough time to build a better relationship with those business owners compared to being bogged down with 20, 30, 40-plus calls a day. So I went from having a stressful work environment to having a more laid-back work environment, being able to work with one contractor for months and months compared to working with 20, 30, and 50 people and being just, you know, overwhelmed and stressed out by the end of the day, just being able to just have a more laid back um, atmosphere where I'm able to just be myself, where I'm able to relax, where I'm able to build more meaningful relationships in my career.
0: And what about the type of work, meaning what kind of work were you doing for the city versus what type of work are you now doing for the Army Corps of Engineers?
1: Yeah, sure. So with the city, I was a small business professional. Basically, I was responsible for making sure those small businesses were certified so they're able to do business with the city, um, which means that I had to speak to a lot of these businesses. They were coming to me. They had to do applications to verify that they were um, capable of doing business with city government. With my new role, All these businesses are already certified, so I don't have to go through any of that process to make sure they're certified, they're already ready to do business, they're ready to sign contracts. So my new role is basically on the back end compared to being on the front end of the contract process. I'm now on the back end where everyone is stable everyone is ready to do business they're just ready to sign contracts which makes my my workday very easy and very less stressful <laughs>
0: right and so and, and you're doing the downstream work that's allowing the work to be completed as as opposed to determining whether or not some folks are qualified to do the work
1: exactly exactly because exactly in the
0: end in the end, government has to perform a service and has to provide a service. And you're in a place where you're now in direct contact with the people who are providing the service and making sure they're providing the service that is that is necessary to be done.
1: Exactly. That's correct.
0: So now we're coming to the end of the podcast. Um, and this has really been a beautiful podcast. And you're you're you've been very kind to share your your beautiful story with us. But we're gonna ask you one more question and ask you to help folks in one more way. So if you were to give us the top three low cost or no cost treatment options you'd recommend to a new person on the Lyme disease journey, what would they be?
1: Saunas, lemon water, and Burba which you can actually get on Amazon for no more than I think roughly like 30 or $40.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so let's talk about each one of these three because it sounds like you're a detox, detox, detox <laughs> gal, right? So let's talk about saunas. Um and we, we do understand that there are some people that are going to be heat sensitive during different different elements right. of their journey. Uh, So for example, Matt, uh, my traditional co-host was not able to use sauna because he was, he was, he has, he was heat sensitive, but but for those folks who are not heat sensitive, talk to us about uh, saunas and talk to us about how that was helpful to you in the detox element of your journey.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, I wasn't really very fond of the sauna beginning. Um, I had to actually work myself up to sitting there for 25 minutes, which is my max still. (laughs) So I would, um, beginning just go for five minutes in my journey i would just sit there for five minutes okay this is all i could do Uh, make sure drink a lot of water and a lot of electrolytes um, which i wasn't aware of when i first started and every um, two or three months i would try to increase my minutes by at least five so i naturally at the point where i can do 25 minutes which is really good because the sauna can be very draining because you're sweating a lot um, you're losing a lot of that sweat, um, but you have to make sure that you're replenishing it with a lot of electrolytes as well, um, which I wasn't aware of when I first started. So drink a lot of water, a lot of electrolytes, and just work yourself up to sitting there for if you want to sit there for 30, 40, 45 minutes to so an hour like some people. Um, but don't try the first time. Just sit there for an hour on the first go like okay. I Just do five minutes at a time and go from there.
0: (laughs) So slow and steady is your advice. Um, And did you have a particular temperature um, for the sauna that you were using? And do you have any recommendations about what temperature the sauna should be for the detox protocol?
1: I didn't have a set temperature. Um, I would go um, to the gym and basically whatever temperature was set in there, this is what I would actually go and just sit in. I didn't have a set temperature where I would actually set it. So I would just go in at any temperature and just sit there.
0: Okay. So let's talk about lemon water. Uh, yes. you, you did You did reference that as, as a lifesaver during the course of the podcast. Yes. So I'm glad you came back to that. Talk to us about lemon water, how you used it, and were you using it as an additional detox tool?
1: Yes, I use lemon water for um, inflammation as well as detoxing. Um, some days, actually, when I do feel um, inflammation in my body, I still drink lemon water. And I actually add um, baking soda to it as well, um, just small baking soda to it for my inflammation um but drinking a lot of lemon water helped me with detoxing if i feel bad after taking my herbs or antibiotics um if i feel as though my um, body was inflamed i would just get lemon and get some um, distilled water and just drink a lot of that throughout the day. I would have a tall jug of water. I would take to work every day. And I still do that today uh, with my lemon and water, and uh, just drink that throughout the day to just detox and get all those toxins out.
0: <laughs> all right, and now let's talk about your other go-to. I mean, you 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 mentioned this several times during the podcast. The uh, the Berber Pinnell talk, talk to us about uh, about that and uh, and how that helped you either with detox or inflammation or all of the above.
1: Yes, yeah, so um, it's the same with um, helping with my detox and inflammation burro um, I ordered it online um, through the same site that I ordered my herbs, um, through um, Byron White Formulas. I'm not sure if it's for me or Byron White, but he does formulas for Lyme disease. And he also had the rubber online as well. So I ordered it from there for my herxing symptoms. And I realized that it was a miracle saver for me. <laughs> Anytime I feel bad, I would get um, just some distilled water, um, put roughly, you can put I think it's up to 25 drops, but the most I put in there is worth like 10 drops in a um, distilled water and just drink that. And if you don't feel good after um, I think 30 minutes, you can do more, um, which is what I do as well when I'm feeling bad. So um, that's like my number one (laughs) go-to when I feel terrible, when I need to detox, when I'm having those hurt symptoms, I go straight to my Burma Pinella.
0: right. So it's, it, it is really important that we have a very, um, well-defined detox protocol, because one of the reasons why our immune system is often, um, overwhelmed is because we have so many toxins in our body that, uh, that, you know, the immune system is not able to, to kill off, uh, or, 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 you know, manage the bugs that are in our system. So, exactly. um, so your, your, all three of your go-to protocols are detox protocols of sauna, lemon water and verba pinella. So yes. I, I, I appreciate your, your three low cost and no cost, uh, treatment options. And, uh, <laughs> we will make sure we get them in the book. So, oh. <laughs> uh, Tabitha VZ, thank you very much for, uh, sharing your story with our community. And thank you for, uh, for contributing to the Lime Quilt here at Tick Bootcamp.
1: Thank you, Tabitha. I appreciate it. Thank you both for having me and listening. Thank you. <laughs>